I'm Jill Anderson. This is the Harvard EdCast. Early childhood education expert Junlei Lee found his calling in the children's show Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. As a graduate student in Pittsburgh, Lee studied cognitive and developmental psychology. Then he discovered the work of Fred Rogers and appreciating the deep and simple in childhood. Lee went on to co-direct the Fred Rogers Center and developed the Simple Interactions approach, which emphasizes the power of day-to-day interactions. Now, the newly appointed Saul Zant Senior Lecturer in Early Childhood Education at Harvard, Lee focuses on how to empower and encourage young children's growth through the quality of human relationships. We talked about what high quality means in early childhood education and what deep and simple actually looks like. But first, I asked Lee, how Roger's legacy became central to his work. I began to learn about Fred Rogers' work when I was a graduate student studying psychology. I was finding that the kind of things Mr. Rogers were talking about in relation to human development, I was not studying it at all in the course of my graduate studies. For example, at the time, I was very focused on cognitive development of children. And Fred, ever since the 1960s, started to advocate very strongly, particularly in early childhood, about how important it is for young children to have a foundation of growing on the inside, even more so than learning their letters and learning to count and so on. And those are just not the kind of things I was studying in graduate school. So at the very minimum, it was incredibly refreshing. Um, But then as I started to work in urban neighborhood schools that had a lot of challenges and struggles, I find that very little of what I was studying in graduate school were directly helpful to what I was struggling with day in and day out. But the kind of things that Mr. Rogers had talked about seemed much more relevant and helpful uh, to my day-to-day work in the classroom. So much of the work you've been doing focuses on Fred Rogers' legacy both when you were working at the Fred Rogers Center and even now in some respects, I think, with the Zantz Initiative in Early Education. I'm wondering what are the things that really kind of keep you awake at night when you're thinking about early childhood education? Most of my work, both in and outside early childhood education, has focused on this one idea that Mr. Rogers always talked about, but it's not just him. It's Mm -hmm. perhaps one of the most important ideas in the science of human development, which is that we as individuals, whether we're three-year-olds or 30-year-olds, we learn and grow best through human relationships, positive, supportive human relationships. So I think the most hopeful as well as the most concerning part of the work of human development Um, particularly in early childhood, is what are we doing to empower, encourage, and enhance the quality of human relationships around the child? Mm -hmm. And to what extent do some of our latest inventions or policies actually distract or dilute the quality of human relationships around the child? For For me and for many of the colleagues I have worked with over the years, that gradually become the central question because we can't imagine making a sustainable impact on children and families 
without doing it through the quality of human relationships. And how does that tie back to your work with simple interactions? Because it feels like early childhood as a field is really, I guess I'm speaking as a consumer, right? As a parent, it feels like the market's a little bit overwhelming. And we're pointing at high quality. And it's hard to really understand what is high quality or what am I looking for? So I want to talk a little bit about simple interactions and what that really means. We begin our work in early childhood. Uh, We begin that in a very odd setting, which is the orphanage environment overseas. Uh Um, And if you can picture an orphanage environment with whatever you've learned from books or films, you don't automatically think of that as a high-quality place. Uh, If anything, you think of, well, here's a place that lacks resources of every kind, uh, from material resources to professional resources. Um, But what our early work reminded us is that even in places like orphanages, you can see quality happening. And the way you see it isn't just through kind of complex assessment instruments. Sometimes it's a gut-level feeling. Like if you walk into a diaper change room and you just watch that diaper change and you watch how the caregiver is trying to interact with the child while doing something incredibly routine and mundane, and then you see the child respond, right? In that moment, you feel like, well, there's quality. So then part of our effort to try to answer the question you have is trying to understand what is essential about quality, or Mr. Rogers would say deep and simple Mm -hmm. is far more essential than shallow and complex. And there's something about the noise of marketplace, about early childhood, about any field that would just sound shallow and complex. And as we worked across the settings from orphanages to very low-income childcare providers to public schools to group homes for youth, as we go through all these different places, we find that you can't always see the essence of quality, particularly in places that has been stripped bare of the kind of material resources that we're familiar with. And These essence of quality are what I think genuinely positive human relationships are made of. And I imagine that is true for parents as well. I know as parents, we can think (laughs) of kind of planning the grand vacation, you know. Right. But I really believe that the ultimate measure, the ultimate component of our relationship with our children come from the simplest, most mundane moments that we go through day in and day out that at least I feel like we make a bigger impact on our children by investing in the diaper change times a day (laughs) than we do by taking a child onto this grand vacation for a week. What does deep and simple look like for a parent of a young child on a daily basis? What does it look like? One, I wanted to just highlight and acknowledge the importance of the question you just asked, is what is deep and simple in our everyday interactions? Mm -hmm. I imagine that it would look different 
in different families, in different settings. But what we have found in working across the settings with people who help children is that the starting point is actually to ask that question, to ask anyone who's working with a child, what does deep and simple look like when you're with your children day in and day out? And simply just thinking about that question make us much more aware of the routine and the mundanes that we're doing with children. We use cameras to mm-hmm. capture these interactions, and then we watch the film, and we try to break down step-by-step step kind of what is actually happening. For us, I think the simple and deep interactions can be seen through at least four different perspectives. One is what we call a sense of connection. Mm-hmm. If you see a parent and a child and a teacher in the classroom, it doesn't take you long to just feel like, hey, they feel connected. Mm -hmm. They feel like they matter to each other. They feel like they're present to each other. The second part is what we call reciprocity, or the Harvard Center on Developing Child have coined the term serve and return. But the idea was that whatever interaction that's happening between us, whether it's physical or verbal, It goes back and forth. It's like throwing a baseball in the backyard or playing tennis or whatever it is you do. It's reciprocal so that it doesn't feel like I'm in control of everything. You're just complying with whatever I want you to do. The third part is that even in the smallest moments, even in something like a diaper change, there's an opportunity to grow for the developing child. So I remember in the early days of watching diaper change for infants with cerebral palsy who have been abandoned and who are in orphanages. Even just taking three seconds at the end of diaper change, instead of efficiently picking up the infant, you just kind of twirl your fingers so that they'll grab onto your fingers and they'll pull themselves Mm. up. That seemed just so mundane. But for a child with cerebral palsy, that become a physical therapy move. But it doesn't even have to arrive at that level. I think every mundane moment presents opportunity for growth, not just in the typical way we look at it, like numbers and letters, but just in terms of their sense of trusting you and Mm -hmm. so on. And the last aspect that we look at, particularly when there are more than one child, is a sense of belonging. To what extent do we help even very young children to feel that they belong. They belong in a classroom, they belong in a childcare, they belong in a playgroup, they belong even in a family, that they have their place. And these four things or four lenses are the angles with which we can examine every human interaction, not just that between an adult and a child, but often between adults. We actually have done that sitting in college classrooms and looking at the interaction of faculty and students and examining it through these same lenses. So it sounds like it's not necessarily different for parents with their children compared to early childhood educators and the children. It's the same things that you're looking for. Exactly. It's not only young children who needs these kind of interactions as they learn and grow. We grown-ups do as well. Mm -hmm. If you imagine the kind of partnership that is possible between a parent and the child's teacher. If you imagine the relationship between two of them, and that you can imagine the kind of partnership between these two grown-ups 
that would also embody many aspects of these kind of interactions. And the stronger the partnership is between the parent and the teacher, you can imagine the more both of them are empowered to help the child. So I have to ask, when you go out and you're looking at a preschool or a daycare or a child center, do you find that these simple interactions are often there? I'm wondering if people are doing this or if we have a really far way to go. I can confidently say <laughs> that we have never been in a place where children are learning and growing whether it's early childhood or later, where you went through the place for a couple of hours and did not see any positive. Right. But on the other hand, we've never been to a place where every interaction is full and rich like that. The same can be said, I think, for those of us who are parents or grandparents, where right? you can think of your own interactions with the children in your family, and you can think of interactions that went really well, and you can think of interactions that hasn't. The good news for parents, grandparents, as well as teachers alike and professionals is that you don't have to be this perfect human being that gets every interaction right. And at the same time, no matter how much you think you're struggling as a teacher, as a parent, please know that there are some interactions that you're already doing that is just what the child needs. As outsiders coming into a classroom or a childcare, I feel like you kind of have these two choices where you can come into a place and you can set really high standards in your mind. And so all you can see is all the ways in which this place has fallen below the standards that you have in your head, whether that's based on research or regulations and standards. The other choice is the approach that we've learned from Mr. Rogers, and he called it to be a helpful appreciator, mm -hmm. to simply go into a place and know that sometimes the biggest help you can offer is to be an appreciator, to be able to see and reflect back to the person who works there something you really appreciate about the way that they're working with the children. And we can dive into kind of social behavioral science to talk about and to show why being a helpful appreciator often is the much more efficient way of improving quality than being the way I was trained as a graduate student. I felt like I was trained to be a helpful critic. That, <laughs> that, that as a researcher, you go into a place and you felt like the way you you are supposed to be helpful is to tell people, well, this is wrong. Research says you should do it like that. And I used to do that, but I just don't think it's particularly helpful. And I have had to willingly kind of retrain myself to have the discipline of being a helpful appreciator. And it's not easy at all. I mean, if you can imagine kind of working in an orphanage environment, if you choose to, you can focus on the negative all day long, you can work there for years and just see nothing but the negative. But what is really hopeful, though, about a place of the orphanage is that despite everything they don't have, if you can spot that one moment of diaper change that was beautiful, then you know there's hope for that place. 
So to tap into that a little bit, how do you take something like this idea of simple interactions and build on that in the the greater field of early childhood education? The best answer I have in progress, whether we speak with practitioners or parents who work daily with children, or a few weeks ago, for example, we were speaking with the federal convening of state leaders on early childhood. We thought that it would help to begin and end all of our meetings and conversations and decision-making in the field of early childhood by asking this one single question. The question is, how does this program, practice, or policy help to encourage, enrich, and empower the human relationships around the child? And whether it is we're talking about regulatory policy or financial compensation for our underpaid childcare providers or their training, or whether we're talking about family support services for families, whatever it is that we're talking about, if we could just discipline ourselves to ask, how does this thing that we're talking about or this thing we're about to decide, how can it enhance encourage and empower the human relationship. If the thing we're talking about doesn't do that, it just seemed highly unlikely that this thing would help to improve the system. But if we have a reasonable pathway that we can see that, hey, if we go this way, we feel that we can enhance these human relationship around the child, then I think we're in a much better position. And I think that question can be asked at the state-federal level, but I also imagine that that's a very pragmatic question that we can ask a particular classroom or even within a family. Like, if we decide to do this, how does it help to empower, enrich the relationship we have within this family? So I have to ask you, where do you hope five years from now early childhood education has gone I hope in five years' time or in however long it takes that early childhood as a system, as a field, start to really respect and honor and support the helpers in children's lives. We cannot make a sustainable impact on children by skipping over the adults in the middle. And that for anything to be successful, we have to help the helpers. And the helpers include parents, grandparents, childcare providers, early education professionals. And to truly believe both the science as well as our lived experiences, that we learn and grow best through human relationships, then as a system, we have to invest in the sources of these human relationships. And for a young child, these relationships come from their helpers. And if we don't support the helpers, then I just don't see how we can ever make a lasting impact on children. June Lei is currently a senior lecturer at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and will be working with the Saul Zantz Early Education Initiative. I'm Jill Anderson. This is the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Thanks for listening.